0: Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for joining us on the How To Money podcast today. My pleasure, Kate. So before we get started, it'd be great to hear a little bit about you, your background in finance and what NGS Super does.
1: Yes, well, I started in Super about 32 years ago. When I was appointed as a director of NGS Super, at that stage, I didn't know very much about superannuation at all, and uh, a lot of my learning was um, on the job. I was on the board for six or seven years, and then I moved into the industry, and I've worked in a number of senior roles with some of the large administrators, looking after large clients like REST, STA, now Australian Super, and other clients. And then twelve years ago, I came back to NGS again in a senior role in operations, then governance, and nearly two years ago, I was appointed as the CEO. Wow! So you've been there for quite a while now. Well, yes, it is it's actually the longest <laughs> I've actually been in with one employer, to be honest. So I'm very proud of that. Mm. And um, and NGS is very special to me because prior to. Coming onto the board, I was a teacher in a Catholic boys' school for a period of time, so teaching's very much in my blood and uh, it's, it's always been exciting to be associated with NGS Super, which is the fund that represents uh, the teachers and other staff in independent Catholic schools. And as a result of some mergers in the past, we also have coverage in the community and a little bit in the health sector as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's quite an interesting path into finance from being a, a school teacher. I haven't heard too many people
1: take that journey. Ah, well, it's, it's not uncommon. In fact, um, we've got three ex-teachers on the staff here at NGS. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in those days we used consultants um, to advise us. Uh, superannuation was a very much simplified product. You know, everyone had one investment option, very basic insurance. So it was possible to learn on the job um, most people went off and did courses um, to assist them with the various professional bodies i don't think you could do it now i don't think you could come straight out of the classroom as i well i came out of the classroom via the union so i was i worked at the union as a women's officer and organizer for a few years before i between the teaching and the um, and superannuation i don't think people with that sort of background now would be appointed to the board, you you would need to have some links back to um, running a business, running a union, um, accounting, finance, law, marketing, those sort of skills. Technology is really big now. So people with digital skills are in great demand in super funds. So I think, and then you take that to the board level. So, um, yeah, very different scenario over 30 years later. Because I think as
0: it's super's grown, it has become more complex. Like when I look at some of the large super providers in Australia, there's so many different investment options, different fees, different managers, so it can be kind of
1: confusing now. Yeah, well, a lot of that's been driven by competition, I think, over Mm. the years, people trying to get a point of difference. And also uh, member expectations has very much changed, I think, uh, all those years ago most people had no idea what super really meant or understood it. And I think knowledge and understanding has improved, although, as you know, there's still a long way to go in people having a stronger degree of financial literacy.
0: Mm. Now, I know most people are familiar with the term super now, but if we bring it back to basics, what is super for?
1: it's It's for retirement. So it's putting money away while you're, working, and certainly now the rules have freed up a bit more so you don't always have to be working, but putting money aside for when you retire, and um, and that's even an interesting concept because there's not an official retirement date mm. in Australia. I mean, there's a pensionable age, but there's not actually an official retirement age. So one of the interesting things that's happening is that people are working much longer now in particular industries than they were when super was thought about and also what's interesting is lifespan has increased so longevity has become more of an issue so the whole setup of 30 years ago I suppose to some degree is being a bit challenged these days because people are living longer so money you have will have last? so it's become, yeah, there's a lot more issues I think to think about than there were when it first started as a simple savings vehicle um, mm-hmm. for people to put aside because the level of savings in Australia 30 years ago was very, very poor and majority of the workforce um, had no super. So if you are in the public service, you had super. There would have been a little bit of private super in large companies, often only for the executives, but for the vast majority of working people, there, there was no such thing as super. So, I mean, I think it's been a major feature of, you know, of Australia that, it was a universal scheme for working people at the time.
0: Mm, yeah, and I think it, it's quite good to have because you're not usually in your 20s and 30s thinking about retirement and what you're going to live on. So having that forced savings from the start of your working career, it can be quite beneficial down the track.
1: Well, I think the difference, yes, for someone like me, I didn't get any super till I was in my early 30s. That was the first time that I... Um, had access to super, and so I would have. I'm a pretty common um, example, I think, in my age group. Whereas, obviously, any young person who's earning more than four hundred and fifty dollars in a month um, now has super paid for them. Yeah. So it's a very scenario. So you've got that impact of compound interest over a much longer period than even someone like like myself.
0: Because I know a lot of my friends that are just working part-time jobs at sort of fast food chains during uni, they're getting paid super because they're earning over that threshold and yeah. um, and a lot of them don't even realise they're earning it because they're not looking at their paycheck properly or anything like that. So they do accumulate multiple accounts over the their 20s.
1: Yes. Well, there's been a big push from the government now to try and deal with uh, multiple accounts and... Uh, so inactive accounts now end up at the tax office and are reunited with your active accounts. So I think over time that situation will improve. Mm-hmm. And also people are becoming more aware of what I call the big brand supers, Australian Super, Rest Host Plus, the sort of funds that people first go into.
0: Yeah, and I know especially um, with the barefoot investor movement, it's uh, people are starting to think about super a lot more and what, it is and how they have some control over it when a lot of people didn't even realise it was their money.
1: No I know and I mean I mean, what we're looking for in our membership is providing you know educative tools, calculators, other information so people can gain more confidence in decision making themselves. Mm-hmm. Because the majority of people go into the default options which are obviously very good in all the funds, a lot of time spent on on getting it, you know, trying to get it right, but it's a, an option that's trying to cover off the needs of a 18-year-old and a 17-year-old and quite mm-hmm. clearly different age groups, different risk profiles. So that's why if you are a bit more literate financially, then you can tailor an investment solution and an insurance solution to your needs. And I think the, the great challenge and the change I've seen over the last 30 years um, it's really putting a lot of time and effort
0: on me doing that. Because mm, when you go onto the websites, it can be a bit sort of overwhelming on which option do you actually choose? I, mean, I know some supers provide life stage options that you just select your decade, but a lot of them, it's just, uh, do you want to be in a conservative
1: or cash or high growth portfolio? I know. And, and I mean, out of the older age groups, like our members really value financial advice, because our average age is sort of mid-40s, mid so we have a lot of people in their 50s and 60s, at, so closer to retirement and therefore more keen to get advice, it's much harder to tap in and say to younger people, you're never too young, to learn more and to get some advice. Um, and in that stage, it's more about probably wealth accumulation in a range of areas wealth accumulation through super which is your long term and then wealth accumulation just outside of super to try and you know be able to achieve the things you want to whether it's a car or a trip or a house because there's a lot of a lot of tips that really help people but unless you're aware of them you know the simple things you can do to improve your situation and
0: i know like The difference between a conservative and a high-growth portfolio in your 20s over many decades is massive. Yeah. And, yeah, so getting some information and learning a bit about your super when you're young can really pay off massively over your lifetime.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, we, like many other funds, of spending time in looking at digital solutions for members and online advice. We have the telephone advice is quite popular, uh, particularly around investment options. Um, but again, when you look at who's using it, it's, it's the older members using it, not younger members.
0: What tips would you give to a young person who just sort of went onto their super website and looked at all the different options and was trying to work out what was right for them?
1: Well, firstly, I think virtually all websites have a risk profile. So mm-hmm. that's what I'd suggest first, you know, are you in the right investment option? Is the default right for you or something else? And if you do the risk profile, well, that will give you an indication of what level of risk you're comfortable with. And if you do that at different age groups, you might come up with different results. Like it's more likely that if you're doing it in your 50s, you're probably a little more risk averse to someone in their 20s. I mean, that's sort of a bit stereotypical, but that tends to be what happens. Mm -hmm. And then once you've established your risk profile, well, then that leads to okay, well, there's a range of options here. I can go into one or I can put a couple together. And then I think the challenge is getting people to review that on a regular basis as circumstances change. Same as as insurance. You get a basic level of insurance. Um, Young people now, it's a bit more challenging because you don't automatically get it unless you've got $6,000 in the account and you're over 25. So if you've got, as some young people do have family responsibilities or other types of things... They may need insurance. They actually have to make a conscious decision these days that they do want it because they'll only get default after they've got $6,000 in their account and they're over 25.
0: Mm.
1: So that's actually, it's a a risk and it's an opportunity. A lot of people won't realise they haven't automatically got it, but if you do need it, you actually then will engage to choose what's right for you.
0: Yeah, and I think insurance can often be the one where it's helpful to get an expert's opinion because I, even I find all the different types of insurance pretty overwhelming and what how much cover you need for your life scenario.
1: Yeah, well, it's a very personal thing. I mean, I think for young people, if you don't have dependence, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You can have a serious accident at work and you have no income coming in or and you have a serious accident which leaves you, permanently disabled and you can't work again so it's sort of obvious to me I like guess maybe not obvious to everyone but they're the things that you, you want to protect as a young person mm-hmm. and then when you get an involvement either with a partner and or children then you've got to think well if I die is there going to be enough money to pay off the mortgage um, to, to help with care doing these sorts of things so if you Go back to the actual fundamentals. I think it's easy to sort of determine what type of insurance you need for your lifestyle and your life stage. And then the challenge is, okay, well, how much is enough? And I think income protection, you know what your current income is, so you you, you insure up to that. And in death, it's all about the debts that you've got. Can all my debts be covered? So the person left behind is not um, left with debt.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And another big thing that I think young people are starting to become much more aware of is the fees they're paying on their superannuation. And I know there's often a few different types of fees with the the admin fee and the management fee. What should young people be looking at there?
1: Well, it's interesting because the, the whole area of fees is a big focus on the regulators. So, again, with the fees, unless you're doing a comparison you probably don't know where the fund you're in or the fund you're looking at where it stands. So mm. funds like ours, we have a, a tool called Apple Check. So you can go on to Apple Check and you can compare our fund, I think, with two others. So in a range of areas, including fees. So that's one way, and I think you'd find all, virtually every fund has some comparison tool. And there's probably ones in the public domain as well, because that's one way of trying to compare apples with apples. Yeah. On the whole, historically, industry funds, that's the not-for-profit funds, um, have tended to have the lower fees. The industry is going through a reshaping. So the retail funds that are for-profit funds, they're looking, I think, at their business model post the Royal Commission and probably will be more competitive on a a fee area than perhaps what they may have been for some of their options. But traditionally the industry funds have been where you get what I'd call great value for money because you know that they're not having to make a profit for shareholders. So the fundamental philosophy behind the fund is is different. Mm, and, And a lot of people are starting to ask,
0: well, what are you actually doing for my management fee? Like what service am I getting from it?
1: Yeah, that's right. And again, that's such a personal thing because some people can be in a fund the years, and they never make a phone call, they they never go to their website, and then you can get others. Like we have some members who would be looking at the unit price every day, some people who ring up once a week. So there's a very different levels of usage and engagement across the life cycle in the fund and the membership, but it's a group product. You know, if you want to do something outside of that, you're personalising something, and so therefore your costs would be much higher. Once you're in group, whether it's group insurance, whether it's group super, that's the driver of the fees. How many people are sharing the costs?
0: Absolutely. And I know another question a lot of people do ask is when can you actually start to use your superannuation that you've been saving up for many decades? At what point can you start to use
1: it? Well, you have to meet a a condition of release. So that's the first thing. It's really linked to, to age, to preservation age. And that's been changing over the years, and it's is it 67 now for everyone or it soon will be for everyone. So you've got to, um, yeah, your money would have to stay there till 67. There are other conditions, sometimes hardship. There's some provision there. But quite clearly the whole purpose of super is for retirement and looking after those latter years. So they've, you know, they've given us a, a very tax effective savings vehicle but it's got this limit and i think that's the main issue for young people you talk to someone in their 20s and you say well this is going to be locked up till you're 67 their eyes just glaze over completely they don't even think they'll be alive at 67 let alone think yeah. they might live a like this this day and age young ones coming up like my great like, like nieces who are you know four and four and seven i mean they're liable to be living to a 100 plus based on it so Telling you you can't get your money until 67, um, yeah, it's a sort of an anathema. And I think that's the real problem with young people. They just can't foresee life that far ahead. And and I think in some cases probably resent uh, the fact that they're actually, you know, forced to have super. But on the other hand, it's it goes back to the basics. It's really, okay, this is a enforced saving. There's a lot of advantages in enforced saving. You will have some money there at that time, that you wouldn't have had if you didn't have enforced saving. And
0: the truth is that we're probably going to reach the age where we do need the super, even though we can't imagine it right now. So I think it's important that it's enforced, but sort of thinking about
1: it in your 20s is still quite hard to visualise. I know. Well, I mean, the the thing is there's so many other demands. I mean, um, so many people have got hex debts for students, people want to travel, you know, trying to run a car. Then, if you you know if you have a partner, then you're looking at trying to buy a house, which in many places in, in Australia is very problematic. So, all of these things um, come to the fore. The last thing you're thinking about, well, is money in retirement, because you're saying, well, I really want the money now.
0: And I know there's some discussion at the moment about increasing the the amount that employers have to pay for superannuation, which for most people would actually decrease the salary coming into their
1: bank account and the amount they've got to live on. So, well, I think that's a debate that's out there in the, uh, in the marketplace at the moment because the evidence about wages going down if super's paid, I don't think has really been supported by the research to date. Mm. It's like all things to do with super. There's a lot of vested interests uh, out there and usually a diversity of views. My personal view, and one could say I've got a vested interest because I'm in the system, but I've seen the long-term benefits people having that savings at the end of their working life, uh, I think I'll really fully support going to the 12%. We've already had that here at NGS. A number of employers have moved to that prior. because We see it as a, a major benefit for our staff mm. and uh, certainly no staff's wages have gone down because we went to 12%. Yeah. We see it as an essential part, if you like, of the employment contract. Yeah, and you've probably got
0: quite a different insight into it because you're actually seeing members starting to use their super and the money they've been putting away for many decades, whereas we're sitting here going, when are we ever
1: going to get to touch this money? Yeah, and I mean, on the insurance side, that's perfect. Well, the insurance one, that's really, that's the thing that I think hit me the most when I came to work in the industry was the value of insurance. Uh, And it's like you hope you're never going to need it, But when you do, the relief that people have when they know they've got something there to fall back on, income protection, if there's, you know, while they're still a member of the fund and you die and you've got got an insured benefit, what that means to families left behind, it's gratifying to be part of a a system where, where you really can deliver for people when they most need it.
0: Absolutely. So another question a lot of people do ask is how do you actually work at home how much super you need in retirement to survive when it's so long away?
1: Yeah, well, there's calculators. Everyone's got a calculator. I think even ASIC's got a calculator mm-hmm. where you can plug in your particulars and they will give you an estimation of you know, what you'll need in retirement. I'm not sure what a 20-year-old would make of that or a 25-year-old. It would just like I think it would be overwhelming. Mm. I think it, I think from a practical perspective, probably starts to really mean more to people when they're perhaps in their forties. I'd say uh, when it's closer, you know, forty to sixty sevens, yeah. a bit closer than twenty three to <laughs> sixty seven. So you can do those, and I mean, and and some some funds have those sort of projections on their uh, annual statements as well. But yeah. I think when I look back at me in my mid 20s, I would just have glazed over completely. I think for young people, it needs to be something that's more realistic and attainable. Like, if you are interested in saving, um, how can you increase your savings if you've got, you know, it's, it's like mm-hmm. giving up a cup of coffee a week and putting that $4.50 every week into super and how many thousands of dollars that would have over 30, 40 years and no one would miss the one less cup of coffee. It's things like that in terms of trying to make savings realistic and it doesn't all, at a young person, it wouldn't all be in super. I mean, no, I don't think anyone young would be putting all of their additional Mm -hmm. money into super and waiting till 67. (laughs) But you can do tiny little things that the power of compound interest makes a huge difference over 30 years without even missing it and you can still save up for your overseas trip, your new car or whatever you're doing, and just tiny little bits of money on a regular basis um, makes a huge difference. Now, to get that message across, I think, would be really important for the young people. Mm, and I think sometimes young
0: people don't know that they can actually make personal contributions to their super. They can set up and they can send $5 across. They don't have to send it through their employer. Yeah, and I know there's some
1: apps now aggregating and, you know, that you can round up and, and that sort of thing. So a lot of funds are looking at that. I guess that'll have some some usage for people, but you can um, set up something regular through BPAY or whatever where you're just having these small amounts go in. Amounts that, frankly, you, you don't actually miss. Mm-hmm. I know that sometimes seems a bit harsh, but you're used to always buying two cups of coffee a day, every day in the city. You're spending a lot of money. If you have one cup of coffee and then use the free one at work and put that money into super, you'll be a lot better off.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just the impact of putting an extra sort of $50 a month into your super over 30, 40 years is going to be quite (laughs) profound when you get to the retirement age, and you probably won't miss it too much along the way.
1: No, and the other thing I'd say too in doing that when you're younger, I think this particular message for young women. So the majority of young women will still have time out of the workforce for um, having children and, and, and Time out raising children. Mm. And so uh, I know there's talk about getting the government to bring in super payments on the um, paternal maternity leave, but that hasn't happened at a government level. Some organisations like ours do that now, we'll pay our staff the super while they're off on the 12 months um, leave. Yeah. But for the majority, that's still not available. But if you've been putting those little bit of extras away in your, in your 20s and then you're out of the workforce in your 30s, for part of your 30s, that compounding keeps compounding. So although you will never make up or unlikely to make up for the 12 months out or the two years out or the three years out, whatever it is, but you'll be in a better position if you've actually had a little bit more go in there before you had to take time out. So it's just a sort of a strategy really, but again, probably not at the forefront of young women's minds as to um, to that as a strategy, trying to set them up for a long-term, improved retirement outcome. And taking a few years
0: out of the workforce in your 30s can really impact the balance of your super down the track yeah. in a, a negative right. way if you're not able to take some other steps to to mitigate that or, or the employer isn't paying uh, super while you're on maternity leave. That's right. Yeah, so I'm not sure maybe there'll be some changes in that area over the next
1: few years. Yeah, it's a foot. I mean, there's always campaigns to try and improve. I mean, one of the campaigns too, which I think would also help young people, is this 450 uh, minimum? You know, a lot of young people in the gig economy now are probably having their work patterns dictated by employers to make sure they don't have to, to pay the 450. Mm. And I know that people said that that will be an impost on small business, but I think it's a I think it would be a cleaner system where if you worked, whatever, how many hours you worked, how much money you worked, that the super was going to be paid. I think that's a better, cleaner, and fairer. So that's one campaign that's looking at trying to address things, particularly for so many casual and part-time workers now. Mm. So that's one thing. And then I think this push about having super paid on the um, parental leave, I think that's the the next sort of uh, thing that people are looking at.
0: Mm. I mean, because if, if you're just driving Ubers during the day, you're probably
1: not getting paid super, are you? No, well, that's the. I mean, that's probably where the, the system. Out. The system was set up. Um, dare I say, based on more of a traditional work model. Yeah. Which was, you know, well, both couple, of the couple, man and woman, working. I don't think people foresaw what was going to happen with so many people being called contractors. Yeah. And then being responsible for their own super, and and some of that's had advantages for people in terms of flexibility, but from a financial perspective. It's certainly not a good look. I mean, it, you know, yes, not, they're not getting super. And even with this uh, pandemic, I don't think I'm allowed to use the word pandemic. It's not a <laughs> pandemic yet, but the, the virus, Yeah. Um, one of the main concerns that's coming out is that if businesses have to close down for a period or, or, or limit the staff because they just haven't got the sales, the people that are going to be most impacted are the casuals who have no sick leave. Mm. So. And they say, was it it 3 million? I think today somewhere I heard it's 3 million, could be more, people are likely to be in this situation potentially. So um, that's huge. Yeah, and on the topic of the
0: virus, I know there's been a lot of volatility at the moment and young people are starting to see, because they're looking at their super now, um, their balances have gone down and some are talking about making drastic actions. What are some of your tips for uh, young people dealing with market volatility and looking at their super and sort of wondering, should I do something
1: about it? Well, I think that looking at it and saying, well, you know, as it stands now with the current rules, you won't be able to get any of this money until you're 67. Mm. You'll probably go through five or six or more major economic type crises and history shows that markets go up, then they go down, then they go back up. Mm. So that's the cycle of markets, you know, and you can't give advice to say don't do anything now, yep. <laughs> just leave it where it is, but um, I think that's all you can do to say yeah, it's economic history, 101, ups and downs of markets and if you've got 40, 50 years to ride it out, well, that's what you need to do.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely, if you've got that long, you don't want to be taking any drastic actions and uh, locking in a, a loss in your super or, or in your 20s going going to cash where it's probably going to go backwards after fees. Or
1: cash is going backwards, we're practically giving the money away. And Reserve Bank's only got one more potential cut, mm. and um, yes, and under the bed's looking good,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, before we wrap up, do you have any last sort of tips on looking after your super to share?
1: Well, I was just trying to put myself back in time, and I think the most important thing is what can we do to encourage young people to at least. Have a cursory look as a start, mm. and just not ignore it. I mean, I just had, as I said, I had no access to super till I was in my 30s. Never crossed my mind. And I think the challenge is: this is money. This is your money. You need to make sure that it's invested in the way that you're comfortable with, and um, yeah, to take an active interest in where you've got the opportunity to improve your situation, even in little amounts. That's important. No amount's too small to be regularly saving.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you won't miss it in the long term. No, you don't miss it in the long
1: term. Can't always
0: convince people of that, but you don't. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Laura. If people want to find out a bit more about you and NGS Super, where should they go? Ah, Well, to our website, ngssuper.com.au. Wonderful. Well, I'll include that in the show notes as well as some of the calculators and other resources we discussed today. So you can have a bit more of a dive into super and make sure you know where it is, what it's doing and uh, what it's invested in. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Laura. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money podcast.